0: Well, it's just two weeks to go before we can shout and sing together, Our God is greater. Amen? Amen. Our God is stronger. He is higher. Now today, we get to the last of Israel's deliverers, Samson, who did some amazing feats. But our deliverer, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is higher, stronger, greater. Amen? Amen. Does anyone believe that? Come on, let's give him another clap offering. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You see, even when you don't feel it, he's working. But I tell you, when we do feel his manifest presence, isn't that good? Because we felt it this morning, didn't we? There was an anointing on that time of worship. Well, last Sunday, we looked with Ben at the background of the birth of Samson and how he was chosen by God to begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And today, as I've just said, we're looking at Samson's life, which was characterized, I guess, by powerful feats, but also by personal failings. Samson was a broken person with serious flaws, but he was not broken in the way that God requires. And we'll come to that a bit later on. As Ben stressed, Samson was from an ordinary background. He was an ordinary guy, but, and this is the but that makes all the difference, he was chosen by God, amen? And you may be from an ordinary background, but if God's chosen you, that's a big but. That makes all the difference in your lives, amen? He was a man of faith. He appears in Hebrews 11 amongst the heroes of faith, but with a flawed Character. He really is a testimony that God can make all things work together for good despite our weaknesses and mistakes. Although, of course, that's no excuse or justification for our personal failings and sinful behavior. Even though Samson was uh, the leader of God's people and struck some serious blows against the Philistines, most of his feats were self-centered, often to protect his own personal interests. And sadly, there's no evidence of him ever showing any love or compassion for his own people. He didn't give himself to them, nor did he even marry one from his own tribe of Dan. God's plan and purposes were only partially fulfilled through Samson. Even in his death, he didn't liberate his tribe from the Philistines. I wonder, have you ever thought, if he had have submitted to God's will more fully, if he had um, have done, uh, followed the ways of God more faithfully, if he had have done the work of God fully assigned to him, just how different the history of Israel would have been. For example, there may have never been the Philistine giant Goliath at the time of David. You see, what you do has an impact In generations to come Samson's life contained both amazing and sad events and I want to encourage you to read Judges chapter 14 15 and 16 Ben was able to read the scriptures last week we couldn't possibly in the time available read three whole chapters this morning time just will not permit that and I haven't got time to go into the details of all the events but I want instead to seek to draw out some lessons uh, for us from Samson's feats and his flaws. I like my alliteration, as you've noticed. And I want to encourage you, if you will, to follow along in your Bible as we survey his life. And so let's turn firstly to Judges chapter 14, and we're going to consider the first significant recorded event in Samson's adult life, namely the choice of a wife. You know, the choices we make in life are so, so important. And apart from the decision to accept Christ as our Savior and to live God's way, in my opinion, the choice of our spouse is the most significant and important choice of our life. And being chosen by God doesn't guarantee us making good choices all of the time. You could be a true Christian, born again by the Spirit of God, but unless you live according to God's commands and led by His spirit, including being submitted to those with authority for your care, including parents and church leaders, then you too, like Samson, can make some bad choices. And even the raising of our children in the right ways, parents, does not guarantee that they will always make the wisest of life choices. Unlike at the time of Gideon that we thought about a few weeks ago, <laughs> the Israelites were no longer resisting their enemies. Instead, they had actually adopted and adapted to the values of the Philistines. They were no longer living as God's separated people, the holy nation, which God intended for them. They were not in danger so much of being exterminated, but rather of being assimilated into the Philistine way of life. I would suggest to you today, in the Western world, the danger probably is quite similar. Not that God's people will be physically persecuted and exterminated, but that we will compromise on our beliefs and values in the way we live and thereby lose our distinctiveness and no longer be the salt of the earth which Christ intends us to be. Now, the Israelites traditionally married around 18 years of age. And by the time Samson, by that time, by 18, Samson would have realized that he was special and called by God. I mean, his long hair, guys, was not a sign that they were in lockdown for fear of the Philistines. <laughs> uh, Samson grew up as a country lad, living in the mountain town of Zorah at the eastern end of the valley of Zorak. And Judges 14, verse 1, tells us that he went the four miles down the valley to the Philistine town of Timnar, where he saw a young, desirable Philistine woman just think about that for a minute okay let's move on now we don't we don't know for sure why he went there he might have gone to assess how he could strike a blow against the philistines because we can safely assume that by his late teens he knew both from his parents and also from the stirrings of god's spirit that were mentioned in chapter 13 that we looked at last week that his destiny he, he would be aware of his destiny to deliver to begin to deliver God's people from the Philistines alternatively he might have deliberately gone there looking for a prospective wife there used to be a tough pastor in Colchester who advised his young people pray and survey he may have gone looking um, because there's no doubt about it if you look through the pages of Scripture Throughout his life, he did seem to be attracted to the Philistine women. Friends, we all need to recognize what, and not just who, could potentially be the cause of our downfall. Samson's parents' home was near the border with the enemy, the Philistines. And from years of pastoral ministry, I 've experienced that a Christian living bordering, as it were, on the edge of enemy territory, trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, is especially vulnerable of being lured by the deceptive appeal of the world. Let's not be, deceived, be deceived. James says, "Friendship with the world is hatred towards God." Samson wasn't just living close to the border. With the enemy, he was living close to Judah's territory. If he'd have walked in the other direction, then he would have been able to find himself a wife who was a praiser of Yahweh. But he seemed to prefer Philistines to praises. Hmm. Any young guys here this morning? Oh, yes, a few. Be careful where you look for a prospective wife. And having found his prospective wife, Samson returned home and he told his parents this is a literal translation of Judges 14 verse 2 wow have I seen a woman in Tinnah now get her for me as my wife notice he didn't ask them he told them get her for me as my wife he wanted he was telling them to go and pay the dowry to her family so that she could become his wife and the scriptures tell us his parents trying to dissuade him from marrying outside of God's covenant people. It wasn't that they were racist, They didn't want him to marry outside of God's covenant people. No doubt they were aware of the warnings in, in Exodus 34, 16 of the consequences of doing that. Samson, however, would not listen. He was, we would say, headstrong young man. He was both impulsive and unteachable. He was driven by his physical senses, by what he saw, and felt he lacked self-control of his sexual desires you see in that culture samson's parents would have normally chosen their son's wife scripture tells us doesn't it in ephesians 6 2 to honor our parents so that it may go well for us and so that we may enjoy a long life but samson's response to the urging of his parents not to marry a philistine was Verse 3 of chapter 14. She is right in my eyes. Hmm. Proverbs 26, 12 warns that there's more hope for a fool than for a man who is wise in his own eyes. Sadly, still today, many young people marry an unbeliever despite Paul's teaching not to become yoked together with an unbeliever. Instead of setting a godly example... Israel's leader Samson was no different to the nation at that time for it's recorded and it was referred to by Ben last week in Judges 17 6 that the nation did what was right in their own eyes not what was right in God's eyes. How do you live? What's right in your eyes or what's right in God's eyes? Samson ignored God's commands and his parents' pleas and Yet, Judges 14, 4, and this is an incredible verse, tells us that although Samson's parents didn't realize it, God was going to use this situation to confront the Philistines. Incredibly, God was going to use Samson's weaknesses, his flaws, and even his sin for God's greater purposes. What a reminder, friends, of the grace of God. But it's not a license for us to sin. On the contrary, Paul explains in Titus chapter 2 that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Well, Samson got his own way and he set off with his parents down the valley back to the Philistine town of Timnah. And as they approached the town, we're told a young lion came roaring towards Samson. And verse 6 of chapter 14 tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands now let me explain the anointing of god's spirit is released through different people in different ways for example in the building of the tabernacle in exodus chapter 31 it tells us how god anointed already skilled woodworkers stonemasons, and others to work beyond their already great natural ability similarly God anointed David's harp playing with a supernatural dimension which drove away an evil spirit, 1 Samuel 16. This spirit kept harassing Saul, you might remember, and at times it even drove him to want to kill David. You see, it's the anointing that makes all the difference in Christian service. It's the anointing, for example, on worship teams, not their natural ability, that can change the atmosphere of a meeting and change lives. It's good to musicians to improve your musical skills. David's tabernacle singers and musicians in 1 Chronicle 25, they were selected, they were schooled, they were skilled, we're told. But of greatest importance is to seek after God's anointing. And God's anointing was released through Samson as great physical strength. Psalm 92, verse 10 speaks of just such an anointing as being like the strength of a wild ox. I think it's significant it as wild ox because that probably sums up Samson. Wedding plans were made, and Judges 14:8 says sometime later samson went back down to Timnah to marry his philistine bride but his curiosity got the better of him does your curiosity ever get in the way and on the way down there he took a look at the carcass of the lion which had been which he'd previously slain to find that a swarm of bees had made their home there and so seemingly without any regard whatsoever to keep his nazarite vow Samson touched the dead carcass scooped out some honey to eat and when rejoining his parents he gave some to them without telling them where it had come from he not only broke his Nazarite vow and, and so defiled himself but also defiled his parents God desires clean human vessels to anoint with his spirit but Samson was casual with regards to his consecration to the Lord. How about you? Are you serious about your consecration to the Lord? Or are you inclined to be casual? On arrival at Timnah, Samson gave the customary feast of seven days for Philistine weddings. Everything, however, about this wedding was wrong. Samson was violating God's commands, in marrying outside of God's covenant people. The wedding was taking place in enemy territory, and it was a Philistine marriage, not a godly Hebrew one. Samson's marriage would be called a sadiqa marriage in Arab society today. It's where the bride continues to live with her parents, and the bridegroom visits her periodically. It's not something we teach in this church, okay, guys? If you've got any thoughts on that, The husband had conjugal rights, but he didn't live with his wife. Hence, Samson continued to live with his parents. The seven days of feasting, commentators tell me, were actually an extended drinking party characterized by debauchery and eating and drinking. And the commentators point out that the Philistines, unlike the Israelites, they were big into eating pork. And so, although the nazarite vow prohibited intoxicating drink samson not only provided but i think we can be partic- pretty certain he no doubt also participated in these seven days of drinking why the scripture tells us why because it was the customary thing to do samson compromised big time i wonder do you get drawn into partying and such like, because it's the customary thing to do at work or at uni. Let's be people who resist doing what in our fallen world is customary if it would mean us compromising on our Christian beliefs and values. Unusually, there is no record that anyone from his own people, the tribe of Dan, attended the wedding, and indeed, throughout his life, Samson did not seem to have any close friends from among God's people who could have tried to speak into his life. Samson was a loner with all the dangers of that. And so the Philistines, we're told, assigned 30 of their young men to be his wedding companions. The drinking and partying led to Samson showing off and jesting, and he made a bet with the 30 guys that they wouldn't be able to solve his riddle. Samson's pride meant that he wanted to be, we would say, the life and soul of the party, as well as the host. And he he posed his riddle. We find it in Judges 14 and verse 14. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. And if they could solve it in the seven days of the party, then he would give them, each of them, a linen garment and a set of clothes. But if they couldn't give the answer to the riddle, then the gamble was that they would have to give Samson 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. And as no one knew about the killing of the lion, Samson was convinced he was on a winner. He would win this bet and gain a new wardrobe of clothes from the Philistines as well as a wife. Actually, he didn't gain either. By the fourth day of the party, the guys were getting anxious as they hadn't solved the riddle and the bet was going to cost them. And so they put pressure on Samson's bride to find out from, the, from Samson the answer. Um, threatening her, they would burn her and her father's whole household to death. They, they weren't nice guys um, if she didn't come up with the answer for them. With such a threat, as you can imagine, she began to put pressure on samson to tell her and on the seventh day samson told her and she passed on the answer to the of the riddle to the guys who had threatened her and they went straight to samson with the answer they had won the bet but samson guessed or maybe it was a word of knowledge that they had got the answer from his wife And the scripture is very clear. His anger was aroused and his retort to them was in verse 18, if you'd not plowed with my heifer, you would not have sold my riddle. What a way to talk about your wife. He was angry. And he went down to Eshkelon, one of the Philistines' five principal cities on the Mediterranean coast, and there he vindictively killed 30 Philistine men out of revenge. He stripped them, and gave their clothes to the 30 guys he had lost the bet to and we're told he returned to his father's home not to his wife who'd cost him the bet interestingly judges 14:19 records that this act of cruelty to clear his gambling debt was enabled by the spirit of the lord coming upon him in power it would seem that Samson knew how to draw by faith on God for supernatural strength, but he misused it in revenge. Even though a blow was struck against the Philistines at this time, God had gained no glory from this act. It had merely satisfied Samson's pride and anger. However, this action did begin to cause a separation between God's people and their enemy, which they'd become tolerant of and compromised with. Despite Samson's fleshly, carnal, vindictive actions, God used this incident in the working out of his bigger purposes. Our God is higher. Our God is greater. At the start of Judges chapter 15, We're told that sometime later, Samson went to visit his wife, and he was utterly shocked to find that her father had given her in marriage to another guy. As the father had assumed that Samson had, in the words of verse 2 of chapter 15, thoroughly hated her. It's a technical term meaning that he assumed that he had divorced her. And so instead of having to pay back the dowry to Samson's father, Uh, This guy got clever, and he offered the younger sister for the wife with the bribe that she was better looking anyhow. Well, that didn't work with Samson. He felt fully justified in retaliating for how he'd been treated. And in anger, he caught 300 foxes, or from the Hebrew they may have been jackals, and he tied them together in pairs Uh, by their tails, and with a lighted torch in the tails, he let them loose into the Philistine fields of wheat, and into the vineyards, and into the olive groves, destroying their harvest, and thereby causing unnecessary suffering to innocent Philistine people. And this started a whole cycle of retaliation with the Philistines burning to death Samson's wife and her father. Samson then sought further revenge by viciously slaughtering many more Philistines, probably hundreds. And finally, in chapter 15 and verse 8, it tells us how an exhausted Samson took refuge. Hey, there's someone here this morning. You're feeling exhausted. God's telling you to take refuge in him as your rock. He knows how you're feeling. He says, take refuge in me. But Samson, exhausted, took refuge and hid from the Philistines in a cave in the craggy cliffs of Etam, a small Israelite town. Samson was not in control of his fleshly anger. And he did not heed Deuteronomy 32, which says that it's God's prerogative to avenge not ours. Proverbs 25, verse 28 says that a man who lacks self-control is like a city with broken down walls. The person's, think about it, is not only vulnerable to attack, but in danger of being controlled by an enemy from within. And having been betrayed by his bride, Samson was betrayed again. This time by some of his own people, by the tribe of Judah. The Philistines had moved strategically into Judah's territory to capture Samson, chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. But rather than face conflict with them, the men of Judah conspired with the Philistines to hand Samson over to them. And can you believe it? 3,000 men of Judah went to where Samson was hiding at Etam. They tied him up with new ropes, being the strongest ropes they could find, and they led him to the Philistine camp at Lehi. What a picture. Just imagine for a minute, God's chosen deliverer led bound by his own people to be delivered to the enemy. A foreshadowing, I would suggest, of God's perfect deliverer, Jesus, who was also betrayed and delivered by his own people over to the enemy. And as they approached the Philistine camp, the Philistines came running towards the bound Samson, shouting jubilantly, and again the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson in power. The ropes of his arms became like charred flax, we're told, and he broke free. There was no weapon that he could seize from the men of Judah, as the Philistines didn't allow the Israelites to possess any weapons. Even their plows had to be taken to the Philistines to be sharpened as a blacksmith was a prohibited trade in Israel. And so Samson grabbed a fresh jawbone of a dead donkey, and with that he struck down a thousand Philistines. And unusually, on that occasion, Samson acknowledged that it was God who'd given him that great victory. And friends, I just want to say this. If you respond rightly to life's challenges, then God can use all things in your life, including betrayal, for his greater purposes. Well, having taken on the enemy single-handed, Judges 15, 18 tells us that Samson was very thirsty. I reckon that was an understatement. And, and, he, and he cried out to God for a drink. And God split open the rock face from which water flowed in a similar way to how God had done it in the day of Moses, as we call it in Exodus 17. But as I prepared, I felt that God wanted me not to remind you so much of a previous time he'd done it, but of a time that was to come when another deliverer was thirsty from taking on the enemy single-handed. You see, for God's perfect deliverer, Jesus, when he hung on the cross in excruciating pain, John tells us in John chapter 19, that knowing that He everything had been accomplished, and he was gasping for breath and he said, I thirst. And they gave him a drink of wine vinegar and in a loud cry he declared, it is finished. And Matthew tells us in Matthew 27, at that moment, three o'clock in the afternoon, the time of prayer, when the temple was full of worshippers, when they just finished sacrificing all the Passover lambs in the temple courts, the curtain into God's presence, which we're told was about 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and 4 inches thick, was supernaturally torn in two from top to bottom because as Hebrews 10.20 says, a new and living way into the presence of God had just been opened up for us. Hallelujah! Oh, shati koramamaka! Hallelujah. And that is in the end. Because the earth shook and trembled at Jesus' triumphant cry. And the rocks split. And the tombs were broken open. And we're told many holy people were raised back to life because the death of God's perfect, deliverer Jesus was God's provision of eternal life. Hallelujah. It's okay to get excited. When Samson was thirsty, God split open the ground to give him a drink. But as Jesus died and experienced a thirst like no other for you and for me, life-giving water, eternal life was released for those whom God's perfect deliverer had come to save. Samson drank from God's provision for him. And the scripture tells us he was revived. But of greater importance, friends, is have you drunk from God's provision for you, which was opened through Christ's death. Christ's promise is that whoever drinks of the life-giving water which he offers will have their inner thirst satisfied and they will receive eternal life. And to the spiritually thirsty, Jesus' promise was and it still is, come to me and drink of the Holy Spirit and experience like rivers of living water flowing out of your innermost being. And friends, whether you're here or whether you're at home watching, if today you need to be revived, then the invitation to come to our perfect deliverer is by faith, come and drink of his Spirit. Just drink. Drink. He's here. He is here. Moving in this place. Drink of his presence. Now, there's an unrecorded time of an unknown number of years between chapters 15 and 16. We don't know where Samson lived, we don't know what he did. It seems to me that although God revived his deliverer, Samson, at Lehi to deliver God's people from the enemy, it would seem that for a whole period of years he did nothing of significance worthy of being recorded. And time will not permit me to, to review in detail the latter years of Samson's life recorded in Judges 16. You'll have to read it for yourself. But it's evident that he'd matured in years but not in his character. I mean, he was older but he wasn't any wiser. He was continuing to fall to the sexual sin which had constantly f- he'd fallen to throughout his life. And verse 1 of Judges 16 tells us how he spent a night with a prostitute right in the heart of the enemy's territory in the city of Gaza the walled capital of the Philistines Samson was still even in his latter years of his life doing what was right in his own eyes but not in God's eyes you see sex outside of marriage no matter what the circumstances not just with a prostitute whatever the circumstance is never right in God's eyes Hebrews 12 verse 1 urges us doesn't it in running the course of our life, to lay aside everything that would hinder us and to deal with whatever sin that for us could be the one that would potentially trip us up. What potentially is that sin that's particularly big temptation for you, the sin that could cause you to fall? Samson never ever brought his sexual addiction nor his anger problem under control. And undealt with sins become a habit and they become a downward spiral which eventually ended badly for Samson even though he made a spectacular escape from getting killed in Gaza we're told he tore loose the city gateway complete with his doors and he carried it on his shoulders to the top of the hill which faced the Israelite city of Hebron think about it, it would be like removing the Abbey Gateway just down the road, complete with its doors, to escape from the ancient city of Colchester. He was truly a charismatic and operated powerfully in the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit to do incredible feats of strength. But he had no strength of character. He exercised his gift with a lack of grace and compassion and was motivated instead by his Uh, uncontrolled passions for revenge to better himself rather for the benefit of God's